Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Locals Weekly podcast, Germany in Focus. In today's show, we're bringing listeners up to date with some of the biggest talking points around Germany. First up, we'll talk about a plot to overthrow German democracy. Yes, you heard that right. This is a story that's unfolding at the moment. We'll discuss the one-year anniversary of Chancellor Olaf Scholz and his coalition government. We'll talk about why two Berlin street names have been changed to pay tribute to those who fought against German colonialism. We'll get into how the German government is supporting people this December, whether it's with gas bills or special payouts. We'll also talk about migration to Germany this year, in particular refugees who have fled Ukraine. Finally, we'll share our tips for visiting Germany this winter. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'm here in Berlin today with journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. Hello everyone. Hi. Hi Hello. Rachel. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Aaron, you've been away. Are you glad to be back? Absolutely. Uh, I was on a little holiday with my wonderful boyfriend, Michael, to Latvia and Lithuania, where we also uh, went to some of their Christmas markets. They were lovely, especially Ooh, Riga's. Any yeah. good? Yeah. Better um, than Germany? No. <laughs> Germany is in a, in a Liga on, uh, you know, on, in its own uh, on Christmas markets, but they were quite lovely and I would highly recommend uh, people visit uh, either one or both of those places. Good to be back. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 7th. And first off, let's talk about a coup plot that was busted on Wednesday morning. Police in Germany arrested 25 people who were suspected of belonging to a far-right terror cell who were plotting to overthrow the government and attack parliament. Adam, what do we know about this exceptional story so far? So this really sounds like something straight out of a dystopian novel, like The Handmaid's Tale. The justice minister announced that they made 25 arrests, but also that there are further 27 suspects. Most of them are Germans, but there was a Russian who was arrested, and there was even an arrest in one in Austria and one in Italy, Mm -hmm. uh, as we're finding out. The group had planned to overthrow the federal government in Berlin and install uh, into power a certain Heinrich the Thirteenth. Is this a real person? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, he is. Um, He is a minor German prince. And he was one of the ringleaders of this particular plot. They wanted to install him into power after an armed attack with guns on Germany's parliament, the Bundestag. But there's more. We're hearing some reports that this group had been in contact with Russian officials uh, in order to establish a new order in Germany once this planned coup had been carried out. And other people involved in this plot, besides uh, the minor prince in question, include a current serving member of Germany's special forces. Special forces are, of course, some of the deadliest and most well-trained soldiers in any army in the world. Others were currently serving reservists in the German army, uh, the Bundeswehr. So a Mm -hmm. few former soldiers as well, but also currently serving ones. Unbelievable. So who are these people? 
The group is linked to the Reichsbürger movement in Germany. These are people who consider themselves still as citizens of the German Reich. And Reich means empire in German, and Bundes means federal. That's why we had the Reichstag, and then now we have the Bundestag, the federal parliament. There's about 20,000 people in Germany involved with this movement, and they plainly do not accept the current democratic federal republic that came in in 1949. They don't recognize the current German constitution, Mm -hmm. and they want to restore the German Empire, which of course fell in 1945 with Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. Yes. So we are finding out that this group maintains neo-Nazis and QAnon types within its ranks. In April, some members were arrested for a plot to kidnap the health minister, and that's when police found the first bits of evidence of this particular plot, and they began investigating it. So they've known about it for quite some time, but we're still finding out how far along they were with these plans, when they want to do this. That will come to light in the next days and weeks, I believe. Thank you so much for that, Aaron. And as we mentioned, this is a developing story, and we'll include updates in the show notes. Let's get into politics now. It's been almost exactly a year since Olaf Scholz of the center-left Social Democrats, or SPD, became Chancellor of Germany, taking over from Angela Merkel from the Christian Democrats. Merkel famously spent 16 years as German Chancellor. So one year in for Scholz, just how does he measure up? Aaron, what's the verdict? Well, a quiet chancellorship, this is not. Uh, Schultz has ended up with an inbox that's at least as full as his predecessor's Angela Merkel. She was renowned for her crisis management. He's being given a similar set of crises. There was no expectation when Schultz took office that the war in Ukraine ongoing yes, since 2014, but would really erupt uh, in February. Yeah. Foreign policy-wise, Schultz is now juggling a war practically on Germany's doorstep while still trying to push through an ambitious agenda of domestic reforms. He's basically fighting two different fights at the same time with a sword in each hand looking both ways, domestic Mm -hmm. and foreign. He does not have an easy job. How well is he doing that job? There's some mixed reviews about that. Let's start with Ukraine. Germany has contributed about 5.5 billion euros of weapons, humanitarian aid, and financial support to the country. That's the third highest of any country, just behind the UK and the US and first. But Germany is also a big country. And if you look at the amount they've given compared to the overall size of the economy, they don't make the top 15. So there's a lot of criticism that Germany could do a lot more Mm -hmm. uh, on this particular front. And what about his government, the so-called traffic-like coalition, which is made up of the SPD, the center-left Greens, and the pro-business free Democrats? What big projects have they got at home? Well, the SPD has seen a big, uh, which Schultz heads, has seen a Mm -hmm. big victory on unemployment benefits. They wanted to make them more compassionate, but what we ended up getting wasn't quite as ambitious as previously planned but they do have a victory there. A lot of other things are really, really up in the air. We have seen some liberalization of abortion laws, but this really is an ongoing debate and discussion within the government. We're still waiting on citizenship reform, uh, which a lot of our listeners obviously are looking out for. This would allow both dual citizenship and shortening the wait to become a German citizen. We're also waiting on a big FTP priority, which is marijuana legalization. We expect that that's going to be hitting Parliament soon. Judging from recent news, especially on citizenship, those plans are coming up against some resistance. We'll see what they can push through. 
Yeah, there were some really huge promises um, made at the start of their time in government. And obviously, it's only been a year. But some of these promises just really failed to materialize. So there was the promise to build 400,000 new homes per year, 100,000 of which were going to be affordable homes. And that's a yearly target that just doesn't seem to be happening right now. Yeah. Um, and on the back of that, they're really failing to tackle the the rental crisis, which is another huge issue for people in Germany. Uh, we're also seeing some uh, still discussions ongoing and ongoing about transport ticket, about a nationwide transport ticket, about whether that would be made permanent. In summer, we had the nine euro ticket nationwide to help relieve inflation. There's been discussions that the government wants a more permanent solution. The Greens are obviously, that's a big priority of theirs, but we're still waiting to see what's going to happen. I think that's plan for next year, but we don't know exactly when it's going to come, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And bearing all this in mind, how is the coalition being viewed by the public? Well, over half of Germans, about 55%, says this is a relationship that's not going well. They apportion blame a little bit differently. So 19% or so blame the FDP exclusively, primarily. And then another 19% say it's all three of them equally where we're seeing these problems. And then it goes down a little bit in terms of people who blame exclusively the Greens or the SPD. The Greens are winning out of this politically, though. A lot of that is down to their tough talk on foreign policy and values. And that's something that's really hitting home with the public uh, after Ukraine. Their poll numbers are ahead of the SPD. Uh, and their senior figures, including the foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, have had some of the highest approval ratings in the country for months. Uh, Schultz's own approval rating is still quite respectable around 50%. But the Greens in government have been tending to do better over a longer period of time. The FTP, though, whole other story. Yeah. Um, they have dropped in the polls big time. If an election were held today, they might not even get the 5% necessary to make it into parliament. So the Greens looking like the winners at the moment, but of course, things could change. All that could change, yeah. <laughs> It's also the one-year anniversary of Merkel no longer being in the top job. How are we looking at our legacy at this point? Well, mixed. One poll found that about 62% of Germans are more or less satisfied with Merkel's premiership as a whole. But a majority also say they wouldn't have her back if they had to choose today. Experts we spoke to just before she left office cautioned us it could take some time uh, to see a lot of her failings for them to become apparent, especially when it comes to things that involve underinvestment, such as the state of the of the train network, which used to be famously efficient. Uh, renewables were certainly asking, well, why don't we have more renewable energy to replace the Russian gas that we've yeah. had to wean ourselves off of? And then we have Germany's allies. They accuse her of putting German commercial interests, especially in Eastern Europe, ahead of safety and security from Russia with the now-killed Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And they accuse her of not appreciating the threat that Russia posed. Ukraine wanted to join NATO in 2008. Merkel famously vetoed this. And every time she's asked about it, mm -hmm. she doubles down rather than apologizing for it. So Merkel, Merkel's crown with Germany's allies is not it's slipped. I've heard that Merkel's been writing her memoir and also catching up on The Crown, the Netflix series about the UK royals. What else do you think she's doing at the moment in her retirement, guys? Uh, baking a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Well, she has admitted that she uh, enjoys baking the occasional plum cake for her husband. As you know, she's before she was clearly not busy enough. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm sure she's doing a lot more of it, especially at this time of year.
Yes, it's definitely going to be simple pleasures, not jetting around the world necessarily, maybe a few hiking holidays, maybe a good book, nothing too fancy, I'd imagine, if if what she said is anything to go by. Yeah, she does love a hiking holiday. I remember all the photos. Every year, yeah, she went on that one. Let's move on to some other stories in the news. And today we're looking at the capital, Berlin, where a street name and square in the Wedding District was renamed in a move to confront Germany's colonial past. Imogen, can you tell us more about this story? Yeah, well, this is a really huge victory for campaigners who have been fighting for the renaming of streets and squares in Berlin and indeed around Germany for years. Both of these places are actually located in a neighbourhood known as Afrikanisches Viertel, uh, not too far from me, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So the African Quarter. And until last week, they were named after key figures in the colonialisation of West and Southwest Africa. So the first, uh, which was formerly known as Nachtigallplatz, was a square that had been named after the German commissioner for West Africa, Gustav Nachtigall, who was one of the major driving forces in the incredibly brutal colonization and suppression of people in Togo, Cameroon and Namibia in the 1870s and early 1900s. Then there was Luderitzstrasse, which was named after Adolf Luderitz, who was a tradesman from Bremen, who was basically credited with founding the German colony of Namibia, where countless atrocities were carried out. Okay, and and what are the new street names then? These have now taken the names of key figures in the African resistance against German colonial rule. Nachtigallplatz has now been renamed Mangabellplatz after Rudolf and Emily Dwala Mangabell. They were actually a king and queen in Dwala in Cameroon who fought against German occupiers when they tried to expel the Dwala people from their home. And Rudolf um, actually lost his life after being forced to undergo a sham trial in 1914, and he was subsequently executed. Uh, so Luderitzstrasse, on the other hand, has now been named Cornelius Frederick. Strasse after a resistance fighter from the Nama people in Namibia called Cornelius Fredericks. So historians have described him as actually the most dangerous enemy of German imperial forces. That's because in 1904, after a rebellion of the Herero people in Namibia was suppressed, he was actually one of the leading figures in a guerrilla warfare against the German colonizers. And he managed to fend them off for a couple of years. But ultimately, Um, he was forced to surrender and the Germans ended up sending him to the notorious Shark Island concentration camp where, like countless others, he died of malnutrition and hypothermia. Really interesting. So as you've said, Imogen, Germany did play a big role in European colonialism. How is this all being reckoned with today? Yeah, German colonialism isn't talked about much, uh, but they did occupy territory in parts of Africa for much of the late 1800s and even into the early 1900s. So most recently, Recently, last year, um, we finally had Germany admitting to having a committed genocide in the area when they slaughtered tens of thousands of indigenous people. And they have offered to pay um, some reparations or compensation of a sort to Namibia, but talks about that are still ongoing. Then there's also the question of the artifacts that were stolen from the region during this time. Again, some of them have been returned, but there are still countless others that 
are being debated over to this day. With all that in mind, uh, this renaming of these streets is quite a cathartic moment for many people. But campaigners are still saying there's loads of work to be done when it comes to bringing the colonial history of these place names to light. Thank you so much, Imogen. And they also want to change some other street names as well. Definitely. Um, There is discussion ongoing about numerous place names still in Berlin. Some of these have been delayed. There's pushback against that. So this really is a fight that's bound to continue. And if you visit some museums, particularly in Berlin, uh, the German Historical Museum is one example of this, you will occasionally find signs over certain exhibits that deal with that time that say we are radically re-examining the information we have here. Please sort of stay tuned for our findings. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The German government agreed earlier this year to pay the December bills of all gas customers. It's part of support to help people with the rising cost of living as inflation has climbed to around 10%. Energy price caps will also arrive soon, plus there are some special payouts coming and child benefits are going to be paid earlier than usual this month. Imogen, let me ask you first about the December gas bill. How does this actually work? Yeah, this one's going to be a big relief for a lot of people especially with Christmas around the corner. Unfortunately, this being Germany, not everyone's likely to see it in time for Christmas, unfortunately. So it was a bit complicated with Germany. It tends to, yeah, things things aren't as simple as they first appear most of the time. Um, so in this case, people are most likely to probably see this relief come through when they get their end-of-year bill from their provider. Hopefully December's bill will be deducted from that and will hopefully result in less to pay back or maybe even lower costs for next year. Watch this space. Some lucky people who pay through a direct debit may not see the payment being taken out and tenants could see the deduction made from their warm rent next Mm -hmm. year or given to them back as a credit from their landlord. What's worth noting is that there's still a bit of an incentive to save energy here. Um, So basically the way this December bill is calculated is using the gas prices for December but actually taking an estimate of your average monthly usage. So that means if you are being really really careful with when you turn the radiators on, how much gas you're using, you could still get a bit of extra money in your pocket, perhaps even a bit more than December's bill being paid. Good to know. So 
people don't have to take any action themselves, but they might not get the money right now. It might come at a later date. I feel like if you have any questions about this, ask your provider or landlord, because I think it can be a little bit confusing. Absolutely. Uh, There should be some information on your provider's website with a calculation just to make things really transparent about how much you could be saving. And as you say, if you're not directly in contact with your provider, get in touch with the landlord, get in touch with your house for Valtong or letting agent, and hopefully they should be able to tell you more. So this will be welcomed by households. But one thing that comes to mind, I imagine some people will need this bill paid much more than others. This doesn't seem very targeted. No, exactly. And this has been a criticism of quite a few of the government's relief measures. In fact, organisations like the IFO, um, Economics Institute and social lobby groups have been arguing quite strongly for aiming relief at people who need it most, rather than just firing money at everyone. This was definitely the case with the €300 payout for employees. And it's a similar case with the December payout. Ultimately, the only criterion that you need to fulfil is heating with gas. So it's not based on whether you're struggling to cope with your energy bills or not. That said, this is something the government's starting to think about a bit more. There have been special targeted payouts for pensioners and students. There are also special bonuses and tax relief aimed at people on low incomes who receive state benefits, Mm -hmm. people with disabilities and families with children. The other thing they appear to be doing at the moment is drafting some contingency plans for people like renters or small business owners or hospitals who who may really, really be struggling to pay their bills just in spite of all of this help that they may have been given. It's still being fleshed out at the moment, but it could see the government basically step in um, for people who are really on the breadline and really unable to face their energy bills this winter. So we'll see what happens with that. It's not set in stone at the moment. Okay, so one thing to look out for in the coming weeks and months. Definitely. By the end of this year, it's expected that Germany will have taken in a total of 1.2 million migrants. That's actually about 35% more than during the so-called refugee crisis back in 2015. Now, these figures were published in a report by Germany's Welt am Sonntag newspaper at the weekend. Most people who have arrived in Germany this year are refugees fleeing Ukraine after Russia's invasion back in February. Adam, why are these reported numbers significant? Well, Rachel, as you said, we are looking at a total that is much higher even than 2015, where we had Syrians fleeing Syria and uh, taking up refuge in Germany. And that particular so-called refugee crisis led to a public debate that lasted four months. There Mm -hmm. were protests. There were uh, there was a lot of coverage. There were endless talk shows, for example, that were discussing all kinds of elements uh, associated with that influx. We also saw the far-right AfD uh, capitalize, uh, or Alternative for Germany, specifically capitalize on some of the protests, which saw thousands of people gather in places like Dresden, who were anti-migration. And, of course, the AfD got into German parliament in 2017. Yeah, they got into federal parliament then. They've also entered many state parliaments as well. And 2015 really saw them change focus. They started as a fringe party, really an anti-euro party after the euro crisis. After 2015, they 
became much more explicitly an anti-migration party. And that really led to some concerns this particular time with Ukrainian refugees that we could potentially see history repeat itself. Uh, and there were questions, could German society handle another big influx of refugees like that? And how are authorities coping with the influx of refugees now? Well, they're certainly stretched. Uh, everything from schools to housing is stretched. Berlin recently had less than 200 spare places left for Ukrainian refugees. The mayor of Cottbus in Brandenburg, uh, for example, said recently, uh, and I quote, rich Germany can do everything, but the money is not spread around evenly. So a lot of cities are basically saying, uh, look, we're ready to do our part here, but the federal government needs to give us more resources. And so far, we've not seen any huge indications or discussions that more is coming just yet. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, do you think there is a different feel to the 2015 crisis? Uh, yes, we've not seen the same level of public debate or protest that we did in 2015. One of the reasons is probably that Ukraine is closer to home and a potential future member of the European Union family. In fact, a recent poll finds that two-thirds of Germans are willing to take in more Ukrainian refugees this winter if it becomes necessary. Thank you for that update. Let's hear now from Olga Kravchenko, who came to Germany from Donbass in Ukraine this year and is an active member of the Ukrainian community in the city of Cottbus in Brandenburg. She talked about the challenges and good moments she's had since arriving in Cottbus. I started off by asking Olga when she came to Germany. Yeah, I came to Germany in the end of March. It was unexpectedly for me uh, because I didn't plan to move abroad and I didn't wait for the war. I didn't believe that it has started. But when hostilities started in my city, uh, it was difficult to evacuate. But then I found a chance, a possibility to evacuate myself. And then I came here. And it was really stressful with papers, with foreign country, foreign language, another mentality, another people. And after stress of losing your home and I'm here alone and I didn't know where should I go, what should I do, how should I behave, what do I need? And it was really difficult. I felt like uh, outsider. It was a hard experience. I can imagine. And did you arrive straight to Cottbus or were you somewhere else in Germany first? I had a really long route. Uh, first, I went to Hungary, then I went to Poland, and then I came to Berlin, and then from Berlin, I came to Cottbus. Okay. So what has life been like for you and some of the other Ukrainian refugees that you have been around in Cottbus? I want to say that I got uh, great support. I live in a community with German family, and they used to help me, and they help me now. So here I found a big support from Germans, from volunteers. <laughs> Everyone used to try to help, to give advice, to help with documents. Yeah, it was really stressful, but I did it. Mm -hmm. And now it's much easier. Now I go to integration school. I study German language and I have some plans for my future. Oh. I can say that I got a possibility to rescue myself and to start a new life because unfortunately my city is uh, almost destroyed and occupied and unfortunately I can't go back. So I want to try my best here. Mm -hmm. And what have been some of the challenges that you've 
faced since being here or some other refugees have faced here? Well, probably it's the highest level of bureaucracy. It's really difficult. It's a country of uh, strict rules. <laughs> it is difficult, still difficult, but it was more difficult when I didn't understand the language. Mm-hmm. Now it's much easier because now I understand. I start to speak German and of course it's much easier. But the first six months, they were awful. And do you think there has been enough support from local government and authorities? Yes, I, I got big support, but um, I also want to say that they have a lot of volunteers who also make a huge part of all these. So. so they're doing a lot of work as well, the volunteers. Yes, yes, yes. Volunteers are doing their best. Yeah. And Olga, um, I also wanted to ask you, how do you feel about the, the ongoing war in your home country? It must be very emotional. Yes, it's really painful and it's still painful. And unfortunately, last week I have lost one close woman who replaced me, my mom. She was killed. And it's very difficult for me to realize all this. And it's also difficult to realize that I stayed homeless and I can go back and that I just have lost everything just in a moment. Well, I'm so, I'm honestly, I'm so glad that you're really getting on well in Cottbus and you're getting involved in the community and you're learning German. It sounds like you're doing your best. Yes, and I have grown one uh, handmade circle for girls who love to see you um, because I felt so lonely here and so stressed out and I wanted to uh, enter, I don't know, something like to get the possibility to make something with your hands to distract your attention from stress, from all your worries. But I couldn't find something for Ukrainians uh, because <laughs> I didn't speak German at the time. And uh, I got the idea to create something myself own. And I got support from one volunteer, from one social worker. She tied me up with one nice woman from a women's center here in Cottbus and now we have more than 10 girls there and we are communicating, we are making clothes and that's great. Olga, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was really good to speak to you. I'm glad to hear. Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's only made possible by people becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.de forward slash podcast offer. This time last year, there were still a lot of tough COVID restrictions in place in Germany when it comes to travel and entering venues. Things look a lot different this year as almost all COVID rules have been eased. And that means there are plenty of tourists coming to Germany, getting stuck into the festive markets and everything else that Germany has to offer. Guys, do you have any tips for people who are coming to Germany this winter? 
Well, first off, the glue vine is there to keep you warm while you shop in the outdoor Christmas market. <laughs> Just embrace it. <laughs> Just embrace uh, it. Especially with an extra shot, amaretto. And remember that Germans celebrate with Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve. Eve, the 24th, and the shops will generally close that day at 2 p.m. and they will stay shut until the 27th, since the 26th is also a holiday where the shops are closed. We don't have Boxing Day the same way here. So make sure you stock up like you would for the apocalypse. Good advice. Yeah, you definitely have to plan ahead um, if you're coming to Germany in winter, unlike in summer when you could just walk around and find a beer garden or a lake or anything like that and just enjoy your time. You can have an absolutely wonderful time in Germany in winter, but you need to check what the weather's doing and you need to definitely. plan your outdoor activities very, very carefully. Unless, of course, you're going skiing, which, you know hit the slopes at any point. <laughs> Pack um, the warm stuff. Pack the warm stuff. Pack the thermals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The thermals are essential layers. The onion rule, that's definitely something to know. The other thing I would recommend doing is eating the German version of a Christmas dinner, which is the festive goose with red cabbage, all the trimmings. It's just gorgeous. So if you're not vegetarian, be sure to research the best places that do that in the place that you are and get out for a slap-up meal. That's good advice. Are you going to have that next week at our local Christmas dinner, Imogen? I think I probably will. I think that's what I've got my eye on right now. Sounds about right, yeah. And the glue vine. It's essential. Never forget that. I have a really good tip about the glue vine. So when you're at a market and you buy your glue vine, you also have to pay a fund or deposit. And this means that sometimes when you're buying your glue vine, it costs up to like six euros. I know. But, you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. You're you're really surprised because you think, is, is this inflation? But usually the deposit is something like two euros. And when you buy the glue vine, you're given a little chip and... If you hand your cup and chip back at the end, you'll get your two euros back. So it wasn't that expensive in the first place. Alternatively, if you really like the cup, you can just forego your deposit and take it with you. <laughs> yeah. so I, I have a few of them myself. Some of them are nice. So Aaron's collection of glue vine cups that he's taken from various <laughs> Christmas markets. They, hey, they were pretty cheap. I mean, it sounds like a lot for a deposit, but it's a cheap coffee cup. It does. It depends if you want the souvenir or not. But just keep in mind that your glue vine is not as expensive as you think it is. Right. Especially if the cup is ugly. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much to our listeners. And as always, we'll add some links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering. Thank you so much to this week's panellists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, as well as Olga Kravchenko and our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please rate us and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts if you liked us. I'm Rachel Loxon and we'll be back again next Friday with another episode of Germany in Focus. Until then, take care.